Okay, welcome back to the Cairo London podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Craig McLean, and today we are calling Adelaide, Australia, and we have Ryan Seaman on the other end of the Zoom call. And we are going to be talking today all about chiropractic research. Uh, Ryan is the recent or elect, recently elected president of the ASRF. And the reason I got into this was for those watching the video, if I turn this into a video, uh, he put together, helped put together the case for chiropractic book of which the United Chiropractic Association posted out to its entire membership um, before Christmas. It was a lovely little Christmas gift we all got. But I want to pull apart the, um, well, I guess there's 20 or so research articles in here. We're going to choose our favorite few uh, to discuss later on. But first of all, uh, Ryan, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, but actually, before we do that, where set the scene. Where are you exactly? And tell us the temperature, given the fact that it's freezing cold over here in London. Um, I'm actually in a small town outside of Adelaide, three hours east. Um, and it was 33 degrees here today. It's probably 28 now. I shut down my air conditioning because it's quite loud. <laughs> <laughs> so by the end of this, uh, I might be a bit warm. Um, but yeah, all good. All good. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, I love plugging the foundation, plugging our book, and sharing chiropractic research. So yeah. Very good. What's the name of the town? Loxton, South Australia. L-O-X-T-O-N. Loxton, so good because we spoke about this before. I'm an Aussie, you're a Canadian, so we've done the full world rotation. Uh, I'm in London as an Aussie, you're in uh, rural Australia, country Australia, in the, in the middle of South Australia there, as a Canadian. Um, that indeed, um, um, it is a bit of a trip and a bit of a mind bend for some people, but uh, yeah, you know what it's like to move countries. You just get used to everything. Now, I've got to take care of a little bit of business because the podcast has recently been sponsored by Ground Coffee Society, and that's my drink of choice today, uh, the Caveman Blend. There it is. I've just put it in the AeroPress. What's your drink of choice for this interview? Uh, for the interview, it's just a simple glass of water. Um, <laughs> yes, I didn't want a coffee this time of the evening, uh, but that sounds like a good one to go with. I like the AeroPress as well. Oh, lovely. So, uh, because I know, I bet you the, uh, well, even, you know, the, the South uh, Australians will have definitely embraced the coffee culture. Hey, um, uh, what about the wine culture, though? Are you near any wineries? Uh, we're in one of the largest wine-producing regions of South Australia. The oh. <laughs> Australia's largest winery is 15 kilometres from me. So what's it's that one? Uh, it's a large group. You'll find it labelled under so many different brands. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but, um, it, well, that's music to my ears, but uh, I am doing dry January at the moment, um, which is a thing that doesn't happen in Australia because I think it's the hottest month. And so you need your cold beer at the end of the day as opposed to <laughs> here, you can kind of just bunker down and hibernate a bit. We do dry July here for probably the same reason. Usually yeah. it's men's health that the guys jump on board for. Yeah, cool. Hey, look, that's cool. Well, that's set the scene a little bit, um, but look, you are a chiropractor. You're, I guess you studied in Canada. I actually studied in Western Australia. I was a, came to this country as a civil engineer, had been under chiropractic care for years and years. And yeah, 
when I uh, got to this country, my chiropractor, who happens to be our outgoing president, uh, started to put the pieces together. And then I started to know why I was getting the results I got and the things that I was noticing outside of what your typical person would notice uh, was coming from chiropractic. And as soon as I put the links together, you know, I heard you speaking on one of your podcasts this morning, chiropractic simple. When the central nervous system works, the body works. Uh, when he got that through to me, I just flipped a switch in me. Because prior to that, I was a, a pretty broken young lad. I drove my body like a freight train, participated in any of the stupid sports I wanted to. I was a skydiver, snowmobiler, snowboarder, uh, ice hockey for a while, volleyball. Uh, I was pretty broken uh, and suffering a lot and wasn't really looking forward to my future if that's what it was going to be like. And chiropractic uh, pulled me out of that, uh, you know, down low spot. And as soon as I realized that's what it was, it started to get cogs turning in my head. And I've gone, you know, maybe this is something I should think about. Craig invited me along to his coach's seminar. Um, unbeknownst to myself, I had stayed longer than I was supposed to because of the conversations they were having. And by the time we got to the end of that, I had stood up in front of a room of, I think it was about 40 chiropractors and gone, this is a turning point in my life. I've just had my chiropractic catharsis and I now need to be a chiropractor. <laughs> and, uh, Craig and I are best mates and I've turned to him at that moment. And I think he did everything he could to keep the tears from rolling down his face. But I know I was that emotional as well. So yeah, it was a pretty awesome moment for me and life's just gotten better and better. So yeah. Wow. Um, how, how old were you in that, uh, when you were there? Uh, I was probably 27 at that point. Yeah, so you'd given it a good decade of uh, career one and yes. uh, moved to, were living in Perth at that time and uh, then went, yeah, fairly quickly to the U, UWA or where's the, because you know what, I haven't been in Oz for 25 years and that only just started setting that up when I left. So um, Okay. Well, RMIT was the go-to school originally, but Murdoch University had just opened. Uh, I was the third cohort through. Uh, still had a few teething problems. It was promising to be very philosophical. Um, unfortunately, didn't live up to those promises. But with, I don't know if you've been to WA, WA has yeah. the most amazing chiropractic culture. There are very philosophical chiropractors there. Mm. And through Craig's influence, I was in with a bunch of them and those principals just spoke. And I got to know him very well going through university. So I had a great founding, some great mentors, and, yeah, great start. No, it's, a, it's definitely a great place because I know um, my best mate at uh, uni was Matt Langer, who's um, – I don't think he's practising anymore in, uh, in, in Perth, but he was obviously working with the Pattersons at the time in that sort of massive practice in Sterling. And, I yes. mean, uh, yeah, that, I, I know Noel or knew Noel fairly well, um, and um, – yeah, it was cool that that got off the ground. So when did you graduate from that? Uh, 2000 and just got to rack my brain back, 2009. Yeah, okay. December. So that's cool. You've gone like 12 years later. You're the president of the ISRF. Um, that's, that's a pretty cool thing. Um, so tell us about that journey then as well. So obviously your mentor was Craig Foote, who up until last year was the president himself. And uh, that's he... He obviously, 
he, he'd eyed you off 12 years ago as being uh, someone who he could sort of pass the baton off to maybe. <laughs> well, he wasn't even the president at that point. Yeah. When uh, I graduated, Craig got me involved with the foundation. I was already a member. Um, it was just something he goes, you need to be a member here and you need to be a member of this and you need to be a member of that. And the Spinal Research Foundation was one of them. And everything they did seemed to speak to me. Their seminars were really uplifting, uh, very philosophical, and yet lots of science and lots of uh, hands-on stuff that you could take back to your practice on Monday. So as I went through, I started volunteering. First thing I did was I was just a part of the comms team and uh, lots of photos, whatnot, at the seminars. Um, and that point, Craig was running that. And then he stepped up, and I stepped up, took on the comms team, and that's how our book came about. Uh, after running the blog for three years, we managed to publish a book. And, uh, yeah, sat under Craig's guiding hand for the first three years of my time on the board. And then he passed the baton on last year. Um, our board is fairly dynamic and turning over. We like to not let it get stale. So you've only got so many terms you can spend on the board. So uh, I've got another, this term and one more that I can be on the board. And then I've got to pass the baton as well. Uh, and I think that's a really good thing to have just to keep the board fresh, ideas moving, and us relevant to the uh, newer population coming out in our profession. Well, this is where it's a good little segue into you got to tell us about the purpose of or the vision that the ASRF has for chiropractic or, um, uh, you know, as, as a foundation. What does it actually do for uh, As a foundation, our vision statement is really simple. We want a better understanding of the vertebral subluxation to improve the quality of life for yourself, your community, and basically the world and mankind. Um, so we set our research agenda a couple of years mm -hmm. ago. And uh, first thing we wanted to do was get a solid definition that everybody can work with, whether they were more mechanical or more philosophical, more neurological, it fit with everybody. And we did that through a fairly large research panel that met three or four times, took in a bunch of different researchers from around the world and the colleges, universities, they came together as a conglomerate and decided on a definition. Now, that definition's on our website. Um, it's quite lengthy, but uh, speaks to most people under chiropractic care and most chiropractors as well. Uh, so we did that part, and the rest of it is getting the understanding. We really want to know, you know, what effects does a subluxation have? What effects do an adjustment have? Uh, that's the main research that keeps coming through our uh, expressions of interest now. But one section we're really trying to get people to get into is you know, working out who can have a subluxation and what causes it. You know, scientific evidence that supports the long philosophical standing that it's caused by trauma, toxins, and thoughts. Um, there's a little bit coming out there uh, that's fairly recent, but it's not up to the standard where you can turn around and say to your regulatory body, everybody has a subluxation or could have a subluxation because they have a spine, so they should always be checked. But I can't wait for the day where we get enough research that we don't have to say that. It just stands on its own. That's so cool. And it's great. Uh, you know, you've reminded me of a few different things there. Um, one, 
because one of the questions was, or the next question is, how can we support you internationally as well, right? Because even though you're the Australian Research Foundation, Spinal Research Foundation, um, becoming a member is obviously the answer uh, to that question, right? It is. Become a member and do one step better, become a research partner, which is just a little bit on top of your membership. Decide how much you want to donate. So your membership fee, that first part of what you decide to give us, goes straight towards funding research, but also all the background running. Obviously, it does cost to run a foundation. And so that's where that money goes. Everything on top of that gets put into a research fund to fund research. And we've decided that to start with, for these, we haven't decided how long. For the next while, all that money is going to be invested so that we have a long-standing pool in case something happens like last year did, uh, where we can't get as many members on board because they've got an international crisis. Hmm. And we still can fund research and keep progress going for our profession. Um, so we invest that. We invest it ethically. We that was one of the things we didn't want to be into the pharmaceutical industries and whatnot with our investments. Makes it a little harder, but uh, going very well. So, yeah, so be- becoming a research partner then, that doesn't necessarily, because, I mean, the, the other question I had is as a practicing chiropractor, is there anything that you find useful if you have a group of chiropractors that we could add to, be it case studies, be it, um, you know, just sort of a sort of, uh, you, you know, we're, we've got obviously a lot of clinical stuff going on at our fingertips, but I, I can imagine it's a bit of a step up to have a private practice compared to actually doing research in that setting, right? Uh, it is a bit of a step up, but it's easier than most people think. And I'm uh, so glad you asked, Craig, because uh, March is Spinal Research Hero Month. And launching this year with our Spinal Research Hero Month is a case study project. We're looking to get about 15 to 30 case studies published this year through this project, and we're fundraising for it. And the studies we're looking for are specifically relating relating to stress, adaptability, and uh, immunity. Areas that were really big topics last year, and when you looked at the research, we didn't have enough solid research to be able to go, chiropractic improves the human immune system directly. We could link it into some uh, physiological principles. We could link it into the stress response, but it still wasn't enough, at least in our country, to be able to advertise that you improve the human immune system. So we're starting with the ground up research. Uh, when we can get a lot of data there, it's a much easier for us to get researchers to take on trials based on them. So there's another way they can get involved. When we ask for submissions, anybody from around the world can submit a case study to us to uh, go through the process and hopefully get published. So I guess, is there a criteria or um, a, a set of things that we need? I assume there's there's like on your website, some sort of like, okay, if, to qualify, this is what you actually have to do, right? Uh, you, we actually have a resource pack for you to help you along the way. Um, we went through a couple of journals and said, okay, if somebody's going to get something published with you, what absolutely do they need to have? Now, there's been a few publications in other uh, journals about doing that. One was called the Care Package. I'm sorry, I cannot remember who that was. We've taken a lot of that on board. But really, they need to have something interesting and fairly novel. Um, They also need to have a good set of notes. So in their notes, they need to have their listings accurate, their techniques, uh, what was noticed, how they measured it, et cetera. 
the patient approval for one, you need to have a consent form, even though it's all ambiguous, we still need to have their consent to having their case study used. Um, yes, we've got that all put together for you guys in a resource pack. If you've got a case study you'd like to submit um, on our website, you'll get our administrator's email address, send it along to her, and it'll come out in the ads on our social media feeds this next coming week. So, so good. You know what's refreshing about your whole uh, ethos or, or vision of the ASRF is two things. One, the vertebral subluxation is the term that you're embracing because in the UK it's definitely, especially with the kind of like governing body basically uh, encouraging you away from the use of vertebral subluxation right? So I've been living in, uh, you know, 20 years worth of the General Chiropractic Council and, you know, they're requesting you have a, a diagnosis with every patient that you work with. And within that diagnosis, it's not really enough to have vertebral subluxation complex as the diagnosis, right? So um, it's great to hear that, um, that the ASRF though is embracing that term that I still like and was obviously brought up with. Um, and, you know, I guess it's sort of another step towards trying to get it more back into circulation. Right. Um, but then secondly is, well, yeah, maybe comment on that for a start. Um, I just like yourself was brought up with that term. Uh, my very first chiropractor used that term. It was all I knew when I went through a chiropractor's office. Oh, you need an adjustment. You got some subluxations. Great. Yeah. Uh, yes, they probably put in their notes a proper diagnosis because in this country you have to do that as well. Uh, but we're embracing this term based on a lot of the research that's come out saying that about 80% of our population of chiropractors want to maintain that term in the profession and not as a historical reference. So we've gone great because that's where we're standing and we didn't want to have to pivot that far. Uh, and we've pulled together internationally to go, is that the same in these countries? Great. We're building on that. Now, sorry, I've forgotten where uh, you had my brain thinking when you were talking there. Well, that's all right. Well, so the second part of that, though, is it's also cool that, like, even the case studies, the focus is, because um, admittedly, when the whole global pandemic hit, uh, it was also like, you know, this thing of like, make sure whatever you do, do not publicize the fact that chiropractic can help immune, um, the, the immune response. Um, so uh, it's kind of cool that you're trying to gather up a bit more evidence for then maybe the next time if, you know, uh, it is maybe a bit more appropriate to be just having that in the, in the discussion, right? That is our plan. We'd like to get enough research out there that we can say the stuff that you and I witness in our practice and, you know, say it with confidence that it's backed by science. Mm. Now, I just remember what I was going to say to you earlier. Uh, one of the big reasons we love publishing with the definition of subluxation is the more papers it's published in, the more likely vertebral subluxation complex is going to become a mesh term. And then when you search it in chiropractic literature or any literature, you have a better chance of getting much better quality research come up on your screen to then be able to support whatever it is you're looking up. Very cool. Um, you know what? I've, uh, 
I've I've also got a little idea on this, um, and and something that we we should be trying to maybe push into. Um, have you ever heard of Whoop? Ah, uh, yes. It's that heart rate variability tracker thing, right? Um, yep. Now, uh, I've done a bit of discussion even on this podcast about it all, and I've been wearing it for a year, but effectively it's a pretty um, simple uh, tool to measure your heart rate variability, sleep, and um, uh, resting heart rate. And they combine those three things to actually give you a recovery score at the start of every day, right? So um, within that uh, and it's a pretty impressive bit of software app that they actually have. They have a journal which they ask certain questions of you at the start of every day saying, did you have any alcohol? Did you have any coffee? Did you have any? And there's a big list of things you can actually include in that, you know. Um, but you know what's not on the list is a chiropractic adjustment. And Great to see it in there. It's a, it's a, there is acupuncture. There is sports massage. Um there, there is stretching, you know, as options you can actually have uh, to select to then say when you actually, um, yep, I had an adjustment today, that would be a really cool way to actually assess what the nervous system actually does um, after a chiropractic adjustment, right? But it's not there. Um, so uh, I've been looking at it and the days I get adjusted, my recovery and my heart rate variability is better there are obviously so many different factors that influence that, but um, it would be a nice bit of simple research if people just ticked when they got adjusted and, and you could kind of get this like millions of people using it worldwide to actually see if it makes any difference. So there's my idea. I love your idea. It'd be a great set of data trend to follow. Um, are you familiar with the uh, CLA group? Yeah. Uh, they've got the subluxation station that uses the heart rate variability. Dave will shoot me because I don't know how many studies he's up to now that have gone into that, but it's in the millions of readings with not just the heart rate variability, but you know the thermal scanner and the EMG putting together for their core score and all that data, we're seeing trends and you can see how the adjustment affects in there. Yeah, And I would like yourself, watch my own, the days I'm adjusted and scan my heart rate variability is much more balanced, faster recovered than the days when I'm not. Mm. Very cool. All right. So simply put, we need to, well, a simple way that uh, anyone in the UK, because I've already had a chat to Melissa and in fact, she was uh, from the UCA and, and she's going to share this with uh, the UCA members. Uh, but the, uh, you know, she was like, well, make sure you ask how our members can actually help internationally, right? So in summary, it's pretty simple. They just have to become a member of the ASRF uh, and uh, look into becoming a research um, uh, partner uh, and then get involved in this case study month in March. Definitely. And there are a couple of other ways that are coming up that are pretty exciting as well. Uh, one of our board members is selling a chiropractic kids superhero book during this month uh well for longer than that and the proceeds from that go to spinal research uh, and we've also got uh the subluxation summit coming up in march and again the details for both those will come out in coming time through email if you're a member but on our uh social feeds of instagram and facebook mm -hmm. so please jump on board those and then jump on board as a member membership is the key way to help us like I said, we can't run any of this without having the funds to run the background first. Mm. 
Cool. So I had really fond memories, by the way, of, as a student of sometimes we actually did that. We jumped on the bus from Melbourne and we went all the way up to the Gold Coast to Dynamic Growth, which it was the ASRF gig, right? It was, yes. So, you know, we'd sometimes be on a bus for 24 hours and we'd get up there and we'd party hard and like learn hard for like uh, three days and then jump on the bus and head back down again, you know. So um, that that's still going on, the DG Summit? Uh, the DG Summit, the dynamic, dynamic growth, and we put an end to that, uh, what are we to now, four years ago, I believe it was, Okay. Uh, purely because people were moving away from live uh, live events. Yeah. We were getting to be uh, almost not breaking even on them, and they were quite expensive to run. As you know, we had catered meals, catered lunches, uh, the ball. There was all this background to it that as Letitia's stuff got up, the expense got up too for holding insurance and whatnot, but they were so much fun. I've got very fond memories of them too. <laughs> very good. All right. Well, look, uh, I think what we should do, because um, as I said, the reason, actually the reason I got you on uh, was because um, I'd rather listen to research through my earphones than actually read it. Right. And I'm like, uh, you know, it seems too hard to read this whole book, even though it's a beautifully put it together and coffee table, um, you, you know, uh, it's very easy reading um, and uh, designed to be obviously in the waiting room for people just to flick through. But um, let's get into it. Um, you should give the plug to or tell us a little bit about the story uh, as to who put this book together. So this book came together from uh, the blog posts. Uh, our blog posts are written by our staff writer, Claire. Uh, she does the hard work. I chased up a lot of the research and with becoming the president, I've passed that baton on to one of our other uh, board members, but I still am keeping close tabs on what's happening because it's a passion of mine. Uh, I'm a research consumer. I'm not a researcher. Yeah. So Claire did all the writing. Um, I'm not a writer uh, and she does a beautiful job. She managed to put this together from the idea uh, Craig came up with the idea, Craig Footer, outgoing president, about two weeks before we listed it for sale. <laughs> <laughs> she pulled everything together in two weeks and had it at the printer. Uh, we could not believe it. We had two copies for a seminar to walk in and go, we've created this book for you to put in the uh, reception area of your clinics. Please buy them. And by the end of the first seminar, we'd sold the first 200 copies. Wow. It was really well taken on board by the Australian chiropractors. And while I've got you and I'm speaking to people in Europe, thank you so much to the UAC for uh, sending this out to all of you guys because what a way to get it out to seeing so many more faces. Uh, in Australia here, we've got it through a fair number of clinics, but um, I believe they sent it to over 500 of you over there. Mm. And that's awesome. That's 500 clinics plus however many people come through can be exposed to some really good chiropractic literature. Yeah. And for those that actually just sort of put it on the bottom of the pile, hopefully they'll listen to this and then they'll be able to sort of like uh, share it to their practice members as well. And then people will be listening in to sort of the whole study. So the whole thing, because uh, that's the other thing, like you obviously, um, as someone whose um, life's been changed by chiropractic, some people um, support the ASRF uh, who are not chiropractors too, right? Definitely do. And you don't have to be a chiropractor to be a member. Yeah. Um, everybody's membership does get uh, scrutinized. And we found we had to do that because uh, some of our detractors want to get on the board. Yeah. 
Um, that's all right. Uh, maybe in the future they will. I don't know. Hopefully by that point there's enough research. We don't have to worry about that. Yeah. But we are trying to keep the foundation true. And if they want to do the other kind of foundation, it's all about other kind of research, by all means, let's have let them have it too. More research, better. So what's your favorite? I think you said that um, well, I, we're going to look at all sorts of things like the neurological impact of chiropractic, uh, some stuff about symptoms. There's some cool stuff about pregnancy and children in there and also linking into the older generation. There's some great research in there about that as well. So um, yeah, I think you said that you're going to start with your favorite four. Is that right? Uh, my favorite four that uh, I came across when I reread the book again um, just the other day it was uh, the first one was the foundation funded, funded study that revealed multi-sensory impact of subclinical neck pain. So that was a really cool study. Um, I, had a, I had a look at that just before uh, I went on, actually. So uh, it's kind of a cool 11. page 11 because it's really cool in the way that obviously like that statement saying, and this evidence points to something remarkable that uh, you shouldn't necessarily wait for neck pain um, to go and see the chiropractor, right? So tell us a little bit about what that study went into. Well, the study took uh, 25 volunteers, so it was a small study, which obviously means we need more, some more research behind it before we can have a conclusive finding. But they started to measure people who had uh, their response time to single, uh, single sensory input and multi-sensory input. So when uh, they can put it against their control group, four weeks later, those that had um, subclinical neck pain, i.e. we found subluxations in them and they weren't adjusted. They didn't have any therapy for four weeks. Over the four weeks, both to single and multi-sensory input, they had slower reaction times. And, and then you turn it around and they started care and things changed. So that was pretty cool. We, we could see how chiropractic, well, subclinical neck pain led to the downfall um, and then showed some change with care, which was awesome. You know, when you can see that the chiropractic adjustment improved things, we're far better off. We can't say 100% that, you know, if you have some clinical neck pain, we're going to be able to do something for you and change your reflex times. But the science is indicating that that's where it's headed. These are the kinds of things we can measure now and we'd like to take to a larger group study. So was that Heidi Harvick that did that? Uh, that's one of Heidi Havoc and um, uh, Bernadette Murphy's studies. So Bernadette Murphy's a researcher out of Canada, Heidi out of New Zealand, um, both fantastic. Both of them have some stuff in the pipeline that I can't tell you about because it's not published yet, but really exciting. Very cool. But like it also, as you say, from day to day, you see that all the time where you start seeing someone and maybe they'll come and see you with low back pain. Um, you're kind of, but you'll find a problem in their neck anyway. Uh, and then they sort of report back to the fact that they seem to have some sort of better control of their golf swing or something. Right. And so uh, it's nice to get that little bit of sort of indication as to why that is. Building on that, if you want, we've got uh, ones that talked about, I'm not sure it's actually published in this book. Let me just check. Uh, there was another study that we wrote up talking about how it improved joint position sense. And that was done uh, with Heidi Havoc's group as well. Um, I'm not seeing it just off the top of my head. Um, I love to talk about Heidi's research because she's done such great quality stuff in the last few years and been one of the world leaders. But there's so much 
there's so much more going on out there. Um, yeah. All right. Well, give us your next fave then. My next favorite, um, one that goes to our research agenda, which is can we reliably detect a vertebral subluxation? Um, uh, I'm sorry, I can't remember who did the original study. Oh, that was Kelly Holt and David Russell. Um, yes, the late David Russell. Uh, but fantastic study there. And they were looking at, can we reliably detect a subluxation? And they went five minutes between each examiner listing them off, what they found on this person, where, and it was found to be fairly reliable. Um, what was it? Uh, there was 63% agreement on the level name and location was 73% acceptable agreement. So that's pretty big agreement. Um, there were areas where it wasn't as accurate, but uh, overall it was really, really good. Curiously enough though, the most common subluxations they found, C3, T7, and L2. Really? Not sure why. Worth a, a study in itself to find out whether that is a typical pattern for modern life or for the research group they had only. Mm. Um, well, yeah, that obviously comes up quite a bit where someone new to the chiropractic table is like, how do you guys do what you do, you know? Uh, and you're like, well, you know, obviously takes so that's the art of learning this whole thing is like trying to work out, you know, the the what you're feeling, understanding what's beneath the skin, and then sort of knowing what it's like in good function and then knowing what it's like in poor function. And it's nice to have a bit of research here to sort of support the fact that chiropractors as a general rule do have the skills uh, in the art form of detecting a subluxation. So that's cool. And correlate inter uh, inter-examiner wise. Mm. So, you know. You and I would find 73% of the time the same subluxation. Yeah. 63% uh, of the time we would say it's the same level. Mm. Um, depends whether you're a guy that counts them in or not. <laughs> but it, it's also good for when uh, you go on holiday, the patient should be fairly comfortable with the idea of seeing uh, your associate or, you know, a different chiropractor, right? Exactly. Your associate, your locum, um, or they're on holidays and they call you up going, hey, I'm having some trouble. Who should I see? They should be fairly confident they're going to be able to find the same stuff you would. Yeah, cool. Which right. is awesome. Next one. That's great. The next one. Um, I love this one because uh, not only do I enjoy cycling like yourself, I'm a bit into CrossFit as well. And this was a systematic review that examined muscle strength post spinal adjustment or manipulation as it was published in that article. And this was actually done prior to the work of Heidi Havoc and Bernadette Murphy on the same sort of stuff. So that was pretty awesome. It showed um, that after an adjustment, we not only had the analgesic effect, we had a facilitatory effect on muscular contraction. So literally you could see and measure, mechanically measure increased force through muscle groups after an adjustment. Now, I don't know if you pre and post test. There's one of my favorite pre and post tests for a new client is just to, before I adjust them, test their hamstrings before and after an adjustment immediately. Mm. And almost exclusively every time we see an improvement and not just a little improvement, a vast one. Mm. Unfortunately, what it doesn't say and the reason we need more research is how long that effect lasts for. Uh, I'd love to have that piece of data as well. 
Mm. When you add in uh, Bernadette Murphy and Heidi Havoc's data, uh, they compared it to another study that uh, showed a similar change measured the same way, and that was over three weeks of strength training. So a chiropractic adjustment instantaneously instantaneously improved the muscles to the equivalent of three weeks of strength training. Pretty cool. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, that's... uh, How long does it last, though? (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, that's that same thing of when someone walks out of the room and they're like, holy, you know, I'm I'm kind of like moving so much better. Um, Exactly. You know, the the runners are talking about how their legs feel like they function differently. Cyclists, um, you know, um, have... So, you know, cyclists especially have all this data that they can kind of look at too, right? And oh. so they're like, yeah, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, so it's kind of cool to know that there is that impact and way better than going to the gym for three weeks, huh? Oh, yeah, well, and then you take it if you're a, an elite athlete and we see this uh, with our AFL football players here, you will see chiropractors in the change rooms now. You see chiropractors at the tennis you see them at all sorts of international events. Uh, Hussein Bolt, before he ran his record-breaking times, had a chiropractic adjustment. Mm. How wicked is that? Yeah. You know, seeing that improvement. Competitive edge without being outside of the rules. Very cool. Um, yeah, so there's a bit more data coming up out of that as well. So not just this one particular study that's in the book, but the as I say, Heidi Harvick's done some other stuff to support that as well. And it's nice to kind of get the more data we get, then I guess the the bigger the studies will get eventually as well. And um, happy days. And definitely. Um, having talked with Heidi Havoc and a couple of our other researchers, one is funds obviously limits to how big their study can be. But the other is just being able to recruit enough high quality chiropractors that are willing to give up their time and enough participants. Mm. So, you know, when you're doing a research in a small country like New Zealand, we have a far less population grab than, say, you would in London doing the same research at a university there. Yeah. How many millions of people are in London now? Yeah. Um, And they're not doing much at the moment. It's probably a good time to do something. (laughs) (laughs) Well, how much of a lockdown are you guys still in? Well, we're in full national lockdown, yeah. Um, so, okay. But it's, it's um, you know, key workers are able to get out and about. So it's still kind of busy out there, but no one's at school and um, anyone who can work from home is, while well, enforced or encouraged to be there. But, yeah, we don't quite have the right police out yet. But Fair enough. Um, all the more time for we should get you guys some more of our case study pamphlets and information packs you've got some spare time maybe well i mean we're really grateful that we can stay open through this because we we are under the umbrella of health appointments and you know and and the government's been pretty clear that they don't want people to be missing out on their health appointments um the NHS, the hospitals are definitely closing down their musculoskeletal stuff and they consider a lot of that stuff as non-urgent at the moment and so because they're focusing in on, on other things. Uh, but that means that, yeah, where the chiropractors who are carrying on um, appropriately are busy because there's not a lot of other places to turn to, you know. So, Well, fantastic. It 
I'd sooner see them start with a chiropractic adjustment than start with a surgery. Yeah, absolutely. Um, least invasive to most invasive. Yep. It's a, it's a good way to go. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. Uh, right. Give us another um, bit of research then. Uh, one of the other ones that I really loved, partially because uh, I look after so many geriatrics in my town, mm-hmm. was the one that talked about muscle loss in our elderly population. Yeah. Not just being uh, because they're not as active as they should be, but being because their nerves weren't firing as well as they should. As chiropractors, we know the nerves run the body. So when your nerves aren't firing as well as they should, and it's actually causing muscle atrophy, that's a bigger problem uh, and one that you can hopefully prevent. Now, unfortunately, the research did not go quite into that depth, but coming up, hopefully it does. So, yeah, so you know, specifically what did it say? It, it basically said that um, it was re- suggesting that as you get older, your muscles atrophy, but it, um, but it wasn't necessarily a chiropractic study or? No, it, it wasn't actually necessarily a chiropractic study. Um, what it said was, uh, I'm trying to find the reference for you if I can. We've got one eight of them under the article so um, which one she started with i'm not sure but it was a study of 143 men um either in 18 to 40 year old or 65 to 90 year old categories and they used mris and emg to measure the state of their muscles and how well the muscles were being activated by the nervous system um so jamie mcphee was the author of the one study and um his is his quote. There was a dramatic loss in nerve controlling or if the nerves controlling muscle fibers, 30 to 50% loss, which means they waste away. The muscles need to receive proper signal from the nervous system to tell them to contract and so that we can move around. Amazing. And that's a pretty big quote right there from a study. If you ask me, mm. we know you need a, a really good nerve function to fire a muscle. Most of our population outside of the chiropractic office does not realize the importance of the nervous system. Yeah, my brain told it to move. Well, how do you think it got the message there? Mm. It's the, the weight has not been put on the importance of the human nervous system and the function of the spinal column around it to the general public. Um, when we start to get articles like this going together, hopefully it puts it together for them in your office or helps them ask you the question to get that great conversation going. I, I was uh, listening into a chiropractor at a conference recently and he's uh, big into neurological um, facilitation through his uh, adjustments. And uh, in his particular take on that, though, was the fact that effectively a really a, a leading cause of death in the over 70s um, is uh, falls, right? Um, where you fall, you break your hip and you sometimes don't recover from that. Um, And his argument is that if you uh, have a better brain-nerve-muscle connection in the over-70s, then it's actually a way of preventing these falls. And, you know, so the full cycle goes that you're actually saving lives by making sure that pathway is kept free for the older generation. So uh, this bit of research obviously supports that argument right there. It does, and if um, I'm not sure it's in this book either, Kelly Holt has a paper talking about fall risk 
and the elderly. Kelly Holt's also out of New Zealand, and that was one of the things he looked at exactly. Mm. How well does maintaining the nervous system function work with preventing falls? They used a few fancy uh, scientific measurements and found, yes, those under chiropractic care, the elderly are safer because they're less likely to fall. So, yeah. Good stuff. Anything, uh, let's go on to our next one. Um, those were my big ones, but one that we were putting together and hope to get with a, uh, a, a little, uh, I'm going to call it, um, I don't want to call it a speciality, but a special interest of mine was how does cardiopulmonary function relate to our spinal health? Uh, so uh, there was an article in here on posture and cardiopulmonary system. Um, but for me, it went a little further because uh, I found a real quick research clip, but I couldn't get a paper reference from it that said uh, the worse your cardiopulmonary function, the more likely you were to have dementia as you aged. Um, so that's how this one came about. We were trying to get enough research for that put together to have that link. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't, but we did find that when posture is not in its ideal state, cardiopulmonary function um, drops off. And the beauty of this, for those of us in practice every day, it's really simple to measure an improvement. Chest expansion before you ever start care and chest expansion at your next re-exam, you almost always see a wonderful improvement. So, you know, there's something you can use every day. Uh, yes, they use more in-depth uh, measurements than that, but how fantastic. And they were using lung capacity, tidal volumes, those sorts of things. They're easy to get into your office and quite cheap to get um, force vital capacity measuring devices. Um, but yeah, not everybody wants that in their office. I don't want to do the research, so I haven't bothered buying that, but I have a tape measure. Yeah. I use it for all sorts of things. So, th But that's the thing. So there was like a, an assessment of uh, chest expansion and hence posture of the upper thoracic cervical spine. Um, you know, the, the further forward or compressed you are, the less expansion you have of your lungs. And then that was sort of uh, then looking into how does that affect cardiopulmonary function. And the worse or more compressed that area was, the poorer the function was in the cardiopulmonary area. And then there was kind of the, I guess you would look at if you can improve on, you know, once you get, I guess, the baseline, then there's like once you improve on some of the function of the chest, lung, or the chest and posture, it allows in increased expansion and therefore better function effectively. Absolutely. Um, and as you know, more oxygen to the brain is always a good thing. Mm. So uh, better cardiopulmonary function, better brain function in my opinion. The link hasn't been uh, fully established to my knowledge. However, the science is currently being done. We love this kind of science, especially when you can measure it as simple as you just said. Even a posture photo shows change in posture. Combine that with a change in uh, chest expansion, you now have some really high quality data. Mm. Fantastic. Um, I don't know about your clientele, my clientele like anything I can measure for them. Uh, to show that they're improving beyond symptomology. Mm. I try not just talk about symptomology in the practice other than when they come in complaining because I want to see them better. 
Yeah, and I think you you know this is the the downfall of our profession to a degree is the the amount of information we can present to people to show improvement uh, is sometimes not great, is it? Um, and you know that we've got to sort of be creative in different ways to sort of show people improvement. You know, um, I'm quite uh, you know the uh, my kids have just got the orthodontics thing on the go, and um, not only do I love the way that they charge, by the way, where they just say, "Yep, it's five grand." Uh, but I'll guarantee your kids with straight teeth, right? Um, yep. We can't necessarily do that <laughs> because we don't have that kind of before and after thing, you know. Um, no, we can't. But um, what's depressing about that, though, is that someone said the other day is that, you know, the investment that you make in doing that just to get straight teeth has absolutely no health benefit to the kid whatsoever. In fact, there's an argument to say it could detract from the health in some way. Um but uh, people are just like doing it without even thinking about it, you know. Um, so interesting little side note there. Um, comes with some of the cultural cultural authority that dentists have and people's desire for good aesthetics, you know. Everybody likes a beautiful smile. Um, if their spine was their nose, as it all, the saying goes, nobody would neglect it. Um, <laughs> but because it's out the back, no one cares, right? So... <laughs> And it's under skin. <laughs> yes. So it's, um, yeah. Other things that are really simple that we can use that they went into actually in that study was pulse oximetry. Now, a simple $200 machine that sits on their finger mm. measures their pulse ox. Great. Um, if you measure the before and after adjustment, often changes rapidly. Mm. Well, that's that, they've become a little bit more commonplace too, and like you know, Amazon is selling them for thirty bucks, thirty quid now because um, there was this whole thing of oh, you want to make sure you get your oxygen levels, you know, if you're suspected of having COVID, because you know, um, so yeah, everyone's rushing out and buying them and checking their sort of oxygen levels these days. So uh, maybe we should just make it part of a routine before and after. Um, it's one of the things I love about the CLA machine; it's all in there. Mm. I used to use the finger-based one. I use it on occasion now in my office for somebody. I'm going, oh, they're a little stressed out looking. Let's check that on see what their heart rate's doing, how their oxygen's doing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Makes it really easy to go, hey, your heart rate's up 30 beats per minute. What's stressing you out? Uh, it gets a bit of a conversation going. Hey, look, now we uh, in London are the, kind of the go-to people for pregnancy um, and there's a big increase in interest around, you know, and has been building for years about Webster's technique and uh, how it can uh, help pregnant uh, you during pregnancy, chiropractic can help you during pregnancy. What sort of research have we got in here about pregnancy? Uh, it may even be the last article, page 75, is posture in the pelvic floor. Um Really great little study, if it's the one I'm thinking of, because I haven't uh, reread this one today. Um, just checking up on it. Um, but yes, they linked chiropractic to posture and to the pelvic floor control. And they actually used women who had never been pregnant, women who had been pregnant, uh, chiropractic students, and the general public. And they found that an adjustment improved pelvic floor function in women. I, they were able to contract it with greater force. Now, um, I don't have the complete study with me, but I do believe they used a quite invasive technique for measuring that. Um, but talk about great data. Now, pelvic floor doesn't only go into pregnancy. It goes into our elderly population as well with continence. 
Mm. Um, they also had a, a, I think it was a systematic review of the European medical literature on um, colic. So children in colic. And they found that chiropractic adjustment was about as effective as any other method of care and was a great place to start because it was less invasive with less side effects as a trial of care. Um, it set out even what it recommended for a trial of care to see if it was going to be effective for your clientele. Um, was a great little study. Um, yes, the uh, Webster technique has been often argued about in this country being, you know, I know you can't flip a baby using the Webster technique. Um, I didn't get to meet any of the people that originally taught it, but one of the people here who taught it to me, uh, she goes, the purpose is not to flip the baby, even though it often has that effect and we get really excited about it. The purpose is to reduce the stress on the mother, the ligaments, the uterus, and therefore the baby, and hopefully make for a better delivery. How does that not make sense? Well, that, you know, I, I always say that uh, Webster's technique is actually just the application of chiropractic to a pregnant woman. Exactly. Uh, and, and so, therefore, when you learn the technique, and I was fortunate enough to be taught by Jenny Ohm um, before she passed um, the, the technique, well, years ago I was taught, but, um, you know, it, it's it's um, we all have the skills to be able to sort of balance a pelvis, whether you're pregnant or not, and... Um, Obviously, those skills come in extra handy when the baby is breech, and uh, so that's you know I know I'm I'm pretty sure even though that I think there was that research done ages ago about Webster's, but I'm not sure how amazing it was. Um, but it certainly gained a bit of publicity about it and gets people talking about it, which isn't a bad thing. So, yeah, I've had many experiences where it did flip the baby, and many experiences where the baby still wouldn't stay where we wanted it. Mm. Uh, and that is just the way it is. Sometimes it's going to result in those. Yeah, yeah. But if the mother's carrying the baby with less stress and her body's more functional, she's got a better chance. Mm. Um, so, look, um, are there any other things like a symptom type stuff that sort of stands out as a bit of a no brainer as to, um, you know, chiropractic or the, the research out there supports low back pain or neck pain or headaches or that sort of stuff? There is all sorts of research that says it supports that. Uh, you won't find much of it here in the book. We chose not to focus on that. Um, everybody knows in the public that we're good with neck pain, back pain, and headaches, at least mm. in this country. Yeah. You know, you say to somebody, you're a chiropractor, oh, I've got a little of this. Um, and I don't know about you, but my experience with the science I've read is, you know, yes, we're slightly better than most other forms of care, but not far enough better that the science is going to shift the medical profession away from physiotherapy to care for the same stuff. Why? Because you think about it like your car. You got a good mechanic up the street. The one that opened three doors down is going to have to be a whole lot cheaper before you'll give them a try if you're satisfied with what you've got. Mm. So, you know, we're slightly better, slightly faster, slightly cheaper. That's because they don't take in all the other benefits we've got. They're only looking at pain. Uh, so, you know, you and I know it's way better for them, but um, unfortunately the science hasn't backed that up yet. And we're looking forward to some more research to go, you know. When you get rid of your back pain, you usually will notice this and this and this as well. Mm. We see this in 80% of the population, et cetera. No, that's a, it's a good 
I guess I didn't quite clock the fact that um, the main sort of symptomatic type stuff wasn't in this book, um, but that's because that was by purpose, you know, by design, was to actually make sure that there was enough information in there about the added benefits beyond your low back pain and neck pain improvements, you know, and it's a it's a well-worn path that chiropractors help with those things, but not so well-worn are the things like colic and, you know, immunity and things like that, you know. Um, however, it sort of probably leads to that other question or the elephant in the room with regards to, you know, there's, there's that thing where you, you listen, you get two scientists in the room with opposing views, right? And, you know, the, the, the amount of information you can generate uh, or research data you can do to support your case you know, they can pick and choose, you know, um, and you can end up with this just like real standoff um, and not get anywhere, you know. So the, the question is, what to, what is an acceptable standard? Because there is this thing where obviously the advertising standards are now really getting hot on what you can or can't claim uh, as a chiropractor to achieve. And there's almost like, you know, there's, there's the General Chiropractic Council over here has literally created a list of things that you can have on your website that you can claim to help support, you know, and things like infantile colic is not on the list, right? Um, so um, what's your thoughts on that with regards to, you know, it looks like we're obviously in that process of trying to gather more evidence, so therefore be able to then hopefully add a few more things to this advertising standards list, but how do, how do we go about that? Uh, we need more research first and foremost, and we need to approach research from a slightly different point of view. Uh, everybody's trying to prove that we can fix one little intervention. You know, if we can isolate the, this one intervention has the, this one effect, humans are too dynamic. Um, and we are seeing this, uh, those of us that are involved with research, many healthcare professions are moving away from uh, the gold standard evidence base because simply it's not uh, as applicable to the individual. So what works for a group does not necessarily work for an individual. What works for an individual does not necessarily work for a group. So we need that combination of evidence. And it was one of the other reasons we decided to do case studies to start with because then you have the individual experience and there's trials come through based on that. Do we see that it correlates for a group as well? When you've got both, you have more legs. When you've only got the one, like we said, we're moving away from necessarily randomized double-blind control trials. Mm. Why? There's so much in healthcare that can't be tested that way. Yeah. But this is the problem is that most of the science comes from, say, uh, the drug testing type of um, philosophy, which is one input, thousands of people, the other input, thousands of people, and you just measure the, the response, right? Whereas to design a chiropractic research as simple as that, it's near impossible, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I, it, you, you can't really do that with a human body effectively for a chiropractic, mainly because we're all wired slightly different. And even in those kinds of studies, they only choose to look at the uh, responses that they want. I, did we lower blood pressure? Mm. Yes. But did that lowering blood pressure actually make the person any healthier? Mm. Well, that's to be debated, isn't it? Uh, so, yes. Um, 
No, but I think that, you know, that's unfortunately where the criticism is going to come from, you know, any of the research that you're embarking on is that it, because it doesn't quite fit that sort of double blind study ethos, um, there's always going to be that detractor to a degree, isn't it? Uh, which is there a shame. Is. Okay, so Ryan, the um, I was just looking at this obviously being the table of contents here. We've touched on all sorts of things with different research, but just let me read a few different other things that are actually in here. Um, there is stuff about the intelligence of the spinal cord and how chiropractic affects that. Um, there's things like, well, we've, we've spoken about leg strength and brain health, um, chiropractic care's influence on the cortical silent period. That sounds pretty amazing. Um, stuff about headaches, migraine, and chiropractic. Uh, there's proprioception and low back pain. There's um, stuff about how it helps the young athletic patient. There's a few studies here about the pregnant women under chiropractic care. Um, uh, infants delivered via instrumentation and how that affects their range of motion of their neck, um, uh, maternal influence, infantile colic, and then you get into this stuff about the older generation, uh, protective factors against health-related decline, muscle loss, as we've mentioned on this before as well. So, like, there are loads of studies in here of which if you aren't lucky enough to actually have this book, you can, is it still all live on the ASRF blog as well? Uh, the articles are still live there. You kind of search back through them. Yeah. Uh, but we've got a new one coming out every week. Uh, you can still get a copy of the book. Um, Wellness Media has got copies of the book. Uh, I think they've got about 1,100 copies uh, sitting there right now, ready for sale. Okay. We've got a few copies left here in Australia. Um, yeah. So we're just selling out the last of our copies before we either do a new print run or do like we're talking about and uh, put together another edition. Um, but yeah, great little book. You can always buy that. Um, and if you want to get into and help us out, jump on our website, www.spinalresearch.com.au uh, and uh, jump in there. It's in the book, the uh, web address as well. If you happen to have a copy of the book, it's on the bottom of the first page. Get in, become a member, support us however you can jump on board. Um, yeah, there are many ways to be involved. And uh, we look forward to seeing what we can do as a foundation as far as more research goes. Well, thank you for taking the time, Ryan. And we, you know, I'm definitely a better, I have a better understanding now or was reminded after my 20 years ago, I was first introduced to the ASRF. But, you know, certainly what we can do to help over here in the UK and also you know, just how the, the focus is not about pain, you know, it's about how we can improve the health and well-being of our communities. So yeah, that's something that's well worth supporting, I think. So mate, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much for having me. And like I said, been a pleasure.